the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast. Hey, how you doing? This is the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast with me, Daniel Ruiz Tyson. Never going bald. Be happy for me. It's the one negative thing not happening to me. Show 41, December the 29th, 2011, coming to you from SW8. Had to get changed. Got caught out in the rain as I was coming home this evening. Sort of wintry rain. Every drop, though not massive drops, every drop was icy. Love, loss, and lattes. Lots of lattes. Hope you all had a nice Christmas. Uh, Tonight's show... Uh, slightly uh, delayed. I was hoping to record earlier. I've uh, sorted out a few technical issues. Printer uh, broke on my return today. I've replaced the printer with an old printer. I can barely see the uh, running order tonight. The toner's not great, but uh, I will be ordering a new uh, toner. Obviously, that's extraneous information. You don't need to know all that. Uh, what else? Um, had to deal with a couple of co- uh, calls from friends. Yeah, friends. They know that I record the show on a Thursday. I, I, I'm of a background where people don't record podcasts. They're either struggling to hold down jobs or they're, you know, they're in prison or, 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 or something. But people that I know do not do podcasts. I'm disappointed that people don't know, my, my own friends don't know that I record a podcast on Thursday evenings and still call me. If they're not listening to the show, that's fine. I've got absolutely no problem with that. I'd probably rather they didn't listen to the show. But... The fact that they actually call me and uh, interrupt me on a Thursday evening when I'm trying to put this together, that, you know, that is, uh, that is slightly, slightly disappointing. Uh, I'm excited about talking to you tonight. Uh, my testosterone level is high. I uh, just changed the fuse on a lamp, got that sorted, dragged it out a bit, if I'm honest. If there'd been a woman here in the flat, she would have quickly realised that uh, changing a fuse is not really where my strengths lie uh quick christmas tweet uh easy nova ian uh tweeted in uh his christmas highlights he said he was all about the kids daniel watching them open their presents there's been f all on telly um i enjoyed christmas uh once i get past that moment this is me talking now not easy nova easy nova you know maybe that he he spends quite a bit on christmas presents i don't want you to think that easy nova is tight this is this is me that we're talking about now once I get past that moment of people being uh, being understandably underwhelmed by the gifts that I give them, that I give them reluctantly, uh, it has to be said. Once I get past those first few uncomfortable moments, I'm absolutely fine. I will accept all foods. I will accept dessert. Uh, coming up to, what, 51 weeks now uh, without any alcohol. 2nd of January is a year without alcohol. So it's been a, it's been a long time. Long year, long year. Didn't touch a drop over Christmas. Didn't need to. I was, uh, I was relaxed. I, you know, I enjoyed being around family. Travelled up to Bath uh, with my cousin, the rabbit, my aunt and uncle. Uh, more of which later. Travelled in a. I, regular listeners will know that I uh, don't know anything about cars or driving. We travelled up in a, in a car. Is it the Fiat car? The KA, the girly car, basically, which my cousin has borrowed very tiny car i sat in the front uh with uh, a load of bags on my lap i mean we were really struggling for space and uh if you heard last week's show i've trapped a a muscle trapped a trapped a nerve in my uh, leg 
So uh, I'm taking diazepam for that and uh, traveling like that in that tiny car for a few hours did not help. Uh, thank you uh, before I go on for your support for the last 10 shows uh, with the Keep Your Head Appeal. Uh, raising money for the hospital that helped me over the last year. Over £600 uh, was raised, which for a man who you know did every one of those 10 shows in the same pair of jeans, you know, that's not bad. I'll admit that when that first £10 donation came in back in October, I thought, yeah, eat your heart out, Lance Armstrong, I'm taking you on. But, you know, what we raised was realistic. Um, so... Big thank you, big thank you all. Um, you know, very, very proud of uh, what we uh, did together there. Thank you for your support. Apologies also to anyone expecting a please don't hug me on Christmas Eve. That was the plan. Mickey fell ill a couple of days beforehand. Uh, nothing that we could do. Apologies for that. Uh, what else to tell you? That situation with the concierge at my aunt's block, remember... Uh, my aunt had got tired of the new concierge not letting me in. I'd been going there 16, 17 years, always been allowed in, had a whole kind of thumbs up uh, exchange thing going on with the, uh, the old concierge. The new concierge hasn't been letting me in, even though I go there frequently. Um, so my aunt said, look, that's my nephew. Let him in, please. Let him in. Um, haven't seen the concierge since, so that was a couple of weeks ago now. So I'm wondering whether my aunt will need to come back down again, or whether this guy over the Christmas break will, you know, there might have been a moment where he's unable to switch off from work and he's there watching some Christmas TV, thinking, you know what, that that uh, pasty-faced Spaniard with a wonderful nose, I need to remember to to let him in. I need to let him in. He's, he, his aunt lives in this block. I need to let him in. Uh, I'll keep you posted on that. By the way, uh, good news, bought some new jeans, bought new shoes as well. And uh, such is my optimism now, uh, I'm looking for a second pair of jeans. I'm, I'm recreating myself from the bottom up. That's what I'm doing. I'm laying the foundation stones. I'm building from the bottom up. Otherwise, uh, obviously, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to debut this look, this the, these new clothes and the new shoes until I've got the top half sorted as well. Otherwise, I'm going to risk looking like some weird mythological creature, half old clothes, half new, some sort of recession creature. Ironically, as I came home with the new shoes, I, I pulled my old shoes off and the uh, right shoe actually came away completely at the back from the heel a year ago, maybe even a week ago. I'm telling you, I'd have attempted to glue that back together. Instead, I binned them. Well, originally... What I actually did, I binned the one shoe. That's all I did. I binned the one shoe, the, the the right shoe. Then I thought, what the hell am I doing keeping the one shoe? What am I going to spend my time doing over the next few weeks? Am I just going to be going around shoe shops searching for just the right shoe, the equivalent of this shoe, and try and find a shop assistant who'll cut me a deal and sell me just the one shoe? What is wrong with me? But uh, eventually I'd bend that too. I feel I'm, I'm learning. I'm, 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 you know, there, there, there's something afoot here. It may be that I'm struggling, but the world doesn't need to see that reflected in my clothes. I'm not deluding myself that this is the start of something new, but it is progress. In the past, what I would do, I mean, I've always bought loads of clothes, but not frequently. Uh, I'm like Wayne Rooney and Michael Owen uh, with their goals. Uh, my purchases come in gluts. I don't like clothes shopping because of the stupid music you have to contend with in stores, wanky retail assistants. They dress like they're models. They carry on like what they do is so important. When you could leave school at 15 and do what they do, basically. Don't talk to me about floor layouts. Don't talk to me about color coordination and whatever. I remember buying a belt from the, uh, from the uh, Nigerian shop, uh, Arthur Nock, in Clapham. 
and uh, if you could shop in there you could shop anywhere i don't care what your shop looks like if you sell what i need i'm buying it image stick that r&b music right up your ass you pretentious i just want to buy some clothes i don't need to listen to the music let me buy some clothes Ways as always to contact the show via Twitter at 1607westegg, email drt at westegg1607.co.uk. You can join the Facebook group, the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast, ask to join, I'll add you in. And as always, you can also post comments via the blog 1607westegg.wordpress.com. Quick Nectar Points update. Uh, I don't actually have my receipts in front of me, but I do remember being in Sainsbury's uh, yesterday. Um, what did I buy? I bought my pecan and maple cereal again. I'm quite addicted to that at the moment. But I'm hovering around the 396 mark. And uh, I'm hopeful that uh, within the next two or three weeks, I will be able to uh, purchase a, a free copy of The Observer. Just drinking this new energy drink, which I found my uh, newsagents a couple of doors away. Just stocks for 35p. Energy drink. Energy. I think that's what it's called. So uh, no diet blue bolt tonight. I found myself drawing up a plan for next year, different to uh, New Year's resolutions, just a plan, just trying to get my head together for what I need to do, because I finished the book last week, as I said, and it felt good, but obviously now I think begins arguably the hardest part, and that is the editing, and uh, I'm having doubts about my capability of pulling this off. It's a massive job. Um... There are some gaps in the book where, you know, earlier on this year, obviously, where things were really bad and I wasn't as focused as, as I should have been on it. I know when I'm at my most confident, I know that I can do this, but it's going to require the focus that was there a few years ago, that was there briefly in the summer for a couple of months when I worked on the last TV project. And that was difficult. I had to dig deep. And rather than the old sort of eight, 10 hour days that I used to be able to put together at my best I was eking out four or five hours max and it was high quality work but it was difficult you know my 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 focus hasn't been what it needs to be for a long time there's no way I'm pulling this book off if I don't really get my arse in gear basically I know that and that's been worrying me it's been worrying me all week uh this week I've just uh, since Christmas I've just not been able to get a day together where I've done more than two hours on the book. Everything has been unnecessarily difficult. I've had setbacks. The, the, the you know, uh, the situation with the printer today being a, a classic uh, example. Things just getting in the way. I've had an exploding Hoover. More of which uh, later. So this is going to be a real mental battle. This is going to be getting really, you know, dirty essentially with this script. Getting the red pen out, printing it all off. I think it's around the 300 page mark. And they're going through it and trying to trying to piece this this book together. Trying to it, it may take me two or three months before it is finally ready to send out to publishers. But I'm going to have to do this because this I think is the only chance I have of uh, turning things around. And I'm going to have to shut myself away. And you know I, I I'm of a background as I alluded to earlier where you know working class and uh, all my friends near enough do normal jobs and a lot of them don't understand it's not a criticism but they don't understand what you're trying to do or that this is essentially what you're good at that this represents your best chance of turning things around that you're never going to be able to be like them and work nine to five 
not because there's anything wrong with nine to five, but because if you were that nine to five person, you would have been doing that 20 years ago. I never went to university. I never regretted it enough. I had my reasons for not going to university. My parents had divorced. Um, I was, you know, I wanted to stay behind for my mum, but it was also an excuse, really, because I was lazy and uh, I'm self-taught. Uh, I love literature, for example, but I, I read most of the books after failing my A-levels twice. I read the books when I knew I could enjoy them, when I knew there weren't exams at the end of it. I know and understand now that Gantt University may have made me a different person. It may have made me move in different circles. I might have had, you know, mixing with uh, middle class people who were more likely to, uh, who, who would most likely have a better understanding of what it is you're trying to do and what you need to do and how you need to shut yourself away from people in order to get things done. And another reason I didn't go to university is I was published whilst I was still a teenager. And that was my big ambition. That was my dream. And if anything, I achieved it too early. It's not that it made me complacent, but it was like, well, why am I going to go to university and delay doing what I'm already doing for three years when I'm already selling work? So that was a problem. So anyway, I'm drawing up a plan because I need to dig deep. I'm 40 in uh, four months time. I can't mess around. This, this, this is my life and it's not gone to plan and I've got through this year and I don't envisage next year being anywhere near as tough as this year. But this is like, this, this requires the focus now that, the, you know, the, the mess is over. This is like, where am I now? What, you know, what do I do? Because I am not going to go and suddenly develop the skills needed to survive in a nine to five job. You know, when I go back to nine to five, I will you know, I will be struggling to hold on to that job. I will be struggling not to turn around and punch the the boss half my age who's going to be telling me to go and do some filing. That's that's the reality of it. Uh, email from uh, the lovely William Stafford. Uh, William's got a New Year's resolution. Uh, hello, Daniel. Hope you are well. I will be glad to see the back of 2011. It's been a horrible year for news. But personally, not so bad, all things considered. You asked for a New Year's resolution. I don't usually make them, but for the past couple of weeks, I've been considering rethinking this long-held position. My resolution is to be less lovely to cold callers on the telephone. I'm too polite by half. That's my trouble. So I'm going to hang up or tell them to piss off. Anything rather than trying to assert myself into their relentless spiel. I've tried pretending to be someone else when they ask for me by name. I've tried answering every call with Chinese laundry, but like super mice developing immunity to poison, some of these callers are hardy buggers and keep coming back. I've even left the phone off the hook for days at a time, but this is not the best option when I'm expecting work-related calls. So, no more Mr. Nice Guy, no more Mr. The Lovely William Stafford, copyright Mickey Boyd, as far as these rude and persistent pests are concerned. I know they're only doing their jobs, but what kind of job is it when you willfully interrupt someone's home life and how out of date in this modern world if i want to update my insurance switch energy supply install a new kitchen or whatever the hell it is i can check i can seek out the best deals myself there are computers now and the internet and i know all the words to the go compare song so i think my plan is realistic it starts with a book it includes a uh, return to nine to five which is certainly going to be difficult and uh what else does it include? I think it was a five-point plan. The evening course. I want to do an evening course at the start of the year. I just feel that, uh, you know, a 10-week evening course, and I do have a course in mind, it would be a good positive start to the year. Um, and, uh, yeah, get back to the stand-up as well. And uh, more long-term would be to write the commercial script that uh, uh, my uh, producers uh, were, were demanding from me, which I failed to uh, deliver last year. So I mentioned earlier Hoover blew up. I, I, I Basically, I hoovered up a bit of card 
and all of a sudden I smelt burning, this light started flashing, I've opened up the hoover, I can't find this bit of card, I'm assuming it can't be a coincidence that this card uh, has played a significant role in bringing down this hoover. Um, uh, tiring, I've had the hoover, the printer to deal with, and I've got a mate who've, uh, who's, who's meant to be coming over to help me look at the hoover. Uh, he didn't show up. But uh, my, my concern is that if he takes it away to, to, to try and have a look at it and repair it, that when he brings it back and he's, uh, he rings my bell and he's downstairs waiting, he will, he will put the hoover down on the ground. He did that with a radiator, the oil radiator, when he uh, kindly lent it to me. He did it when I moved into the hotel 18 months ago. Uh, all my suitcases were just put on the pavement. I don't think I can deal with that moment. I think I need to find a way of having him repair the hoover within the flat. I can't have that thing being put on the ground. You know, I don't think I could ever date an air stewardess for that reason. You know, they go around, they travel all over the world with their trolleys, you know, pulling them behind them. I couldn't, I couldn't date a stewardess if she comes to my house. That, that, that suitcase could not come into the flat. No way. So we're coming up to New Year's Eve. That's certainly my least favourite day of the year. I don't know what it's like for any of you who live outside of London in, in, in cities. Um, I've spent New Year's Eves in small towns, in, in villages, and uh, I can understand the friendliness, and I buy it, I accept it, uh, and, and, and I've enjoyed it, but I find it very strange when one night of the year in London, suddenly everyone's talking to each other, half-pissed. following day, everything is back to normal, people got a scowl on their faces. You know, you're travelling on the, on the tube to wherever you're going, or on a bus, or you're walking on the street, maybe the streets are emptying out around 2 or 3 in the morning, and people are coming towards you. Normally you'd be thinking, am I in trouble here? Are they going to try something on? But no, they just want to wish you a happy new year. I struggle with that. I think I'd almost prefer the, you know, the, the, what we have 364 nights of the year. From the age of 16 onwards, I had 15 successive years of going out on New Year's Eve. I think I enjoyed two nights out of all of those. I never enjoyed New Year's Eve. It's... It's just a night I don't enjoy. I can now deal with Christmas. I can appreciate what Christmas is. Christmas is time with your loved ones. If you can get past the presents, it, it's about time with your loved ones. It's about remembering those that you've lost and trying to switch off. New Year's Eve for me is uh, its just horrible. Um, I, I may even be spending New Year's Eve on my own this year in the flat. I'll deal with it. It'll be the perfect send-off for what has been a very miserable year. But uh, I look forward to 20. 12. Am I saying 2012 or 2012? Why am I going to say 2012 when I say 2011 at the top of the show? What's wrong with me? Song Overkill this week. Uh, which song have you been overplaying and why? Uh, mine this week has been Tomorrow Morning by the Blue Nile uh, from the Peace at Last album uh, in 96. Uh, well, I say I've overplayed it. I've only played it once and that was today and I was in the bath. But I realised what a great song it is and how I forgotten how much i love it i keep coming back to this guy paul buchanan is seriously is there a better british male vocalist than this guy judge for yourselves because i'm posting the uh, all the song overkills up on the blog usually on the same night or, or or the following night i think he's a brilliant singer he's got the acoustic guitar going uh going on in this song you know during my final years in mayflower just down uh, the road from here i'd lie in my fold-up bed There'd be relief that my uh, dad's ill-fated cloakroom experiment where he introduced a 12-foot uh, cloakroom rail 
uh, into the front room to address our long-standing storage space. That's what he said. I just think he was hitting back at the fact that uh, he felt emasculated because I had made the breakthrough by uh, bringing us up to speed with 20th century technology and, and buying a VHS recorder. Um, but I'd be lying up, I'd be lying in my fold-up bed till way into the night, listening to this album, imagining myself to be singing it in the Royal Albert Hall. I don't know why. I, I suspect because I thought the acoustics lent themselves well to my uh, brilliant voice. Okay, your song overkills this week, Silly Casper. I've noticed how good some dubstep can be. Hence this uh, uh, "Lights by Clapex" uh, video. He's included the link, which, uh, yeah, as I said, I'll be sticking up on the uh, blog later on. I still don't quite know what dubstep is. Um, dubstep to me always seemed... Well, I confuse it with dub music. What, what, what is that song, those guys, that band that Terry Hawk uh, was a part of, early 80s, This Town, Ghost Town, whatever it was called. I thought that was kind of dub, whatever dub is. I don't like the term dubstep, but everyone's going on about it. Um, Pete Domican, uh, Judy Zuke, have I said that right? Cup of tea song, very unlucky in her career. Uh, well, I can relate to that. Totally underrated, uh, Pete concludes there. Uh, Mickey Boyd, James Brown, Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. Heard it for the first time this year, brilliant song. Uh, Victoria Sponge 7, Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. Not sure why, possibly because I'm back at home in my bedroom reminiscing about my misspent youth, most of which was played out to the sounds of Joy Division. Sadly, realising that this is the last time I'll be here. Now, having read, uh, uh, well, following Victoria Sponge 7 on Twitter, she, I think, has tweeted in recent months that she's been going back home and helping her, uh, I think, parents deal with viewings to the old family home. So I'm assuming that's the home that is going to be sold. Uh... This song in particular, she says, maybe because it resonates with past relationships. You know, the thing that I can't get past, can't get my head around with uh, Joy Division is that, uh, you know, I loved them as a band. I came to them late. I came to them arseways typically after, after New Order. I was always aware of who they were. But I can't get my head around the fact that there would have been no Joy Division had Ian Curtis not taken his life. And brilliant singer, charismatic vocalist, brilliant music at its best. Some of it was very inaccessible. But New Order and Bernard, you know, Bernard Sumner at his best, his vocals are just so beautiful and New Order at their best for me. Although Tears for Fears was the band I was convinced I was a part of, I don't think there's ever been a better band, certainly not in my life, than New Order. And it was actually Ian Curtis who introduced them to the whole sort of dance elements that came into New Order's music, the whole Detroit sound. So it, it's kind of one of those big what-ifs. What would Joy Division have been like had Ian Curtis uh, not taken his own life so tragically? Would their sound have changed radically from what it was at the time of his death? Uh, Billy Two Rivers Nine, uh, the broken genius of the East Midlands. Hi, Daniel. Had a great Christmas, but it's been one that's been tinged with a bit of sadness for the Two Rivers family after the passing of my dad earlier in the year. The sadness compounded by the fact that it would have been his birthday on Boxing Day. Like father, like son, he loved crap rock bands, and none more so than Status Quo. I dug out Quo's classic compilation, 12, go, uh, 12 Gold Bars, the other day and spent 40 minutes basking in some great memories of my dad when he was alive. The bloody awful rocking all over the world was very much recognised by the family as his song, and I'll always remember him whenever I hear it. I recall this great uh, quote from Mark Radcliffe when defending the band on his old Radio 1 afternoon slot by saying, they often get accused of only knowing how to play three chords, but let's face it, no one plays those three chords 
better than the quo. Sorry for getting a bit somber this week. Business as usual in the new year. I'm actually uh, struggling to read out these emails because of the uh, poor quality of the toner with this uh, Samsung printer. Um, regards from the broken genius of the East Midlands. This is similar to, I think, um, a, a response I made was it a couple of weeks ago to Victoria Sponge Seven's choice of a Tracy Chapman song. Tracy Chapman's Fast Car was a song that used to break me down uh, a year after my mum passed away. No connection to the song. We, I don't know why it was that song, but I can totally relate to this. And uh, you know, for anyone who's lost anyone, you just there's no time frame on grieving. There's no time frame on grieving. You can't be looking at it thinking, uh, well, you know, it's been a year. I've got to get better now. I've got to, I should be dealing with this better. It's it's something that's with you for life. You learn to deal with it. You learn to live with it. You learn to remember those people in a better way. And, uh, you know, Two Rivers is just at the start of this. And, uh, you know, we wish him well with this. It, uh, it can't be easy. Um, okay, so we've had uh, Joy Division. We've had Quo... Is there any more? Oh, uh, yeah, one, I think, uh, yeah, one more. Uh, William, uh, my song Overkill is one I've mentioned before, and although it was only released earlier this year, it has become an all-time favourite. I think it is just delightful, and it has taught me a little Swedish. It is Resen Till Dig, pronounced Resen Till Day, and means Journey to You by Eurovision champion Alexander Ryback, pronounced Ryback. <laughs> I got that wrong. Uh, I can't imagine ever tiring of this song, and it outstrips everything else on my most played list on iTunes by over 100 times. It's definitely my song of the year. With best uh, wishes for 2012, let's hope it's a better one all round. And if not, let's hope the Mayans were right. Keep your song overkills coming in. Twitter at 1607WestEgg. Email DRT at WestEgg1607.co.uk. Hash, uh, hashtag song overkills. I... I'm sensing that I'm lisping tonight. I don't know what's going on. The one thing I don't have is a lisp. I have had emails from listeners, one in particular, telling me I have a speech impediment. I'm prepared to accept that. But it's not a lisp. But I'm lisping tonight. I don't know what's uh, going on. You're listening to the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast. Conscious, I need to keep these shows uh, shorter. Obviously, I've fallen in love with the sound of my own voice in recent weeks, but it's also the bandwidth issues. Uh, almost out of bandwidth again this month, and uh, I don't really want to be throwing more money at this show. Uh, but uh, looking at the uh, running time now, I'm, I, I may be failing and getting it down to uh, uh, sort of 45, 50-minute mark. If so, apologies for that. I'm going to talk... Um, uh, about my Christmas uh, at my cousin's in Bath, uh, break it up, uh, talk about the first part of it now, uh, which involved uh, my cousin, uh, who's just a few months older than me, the rabbit, and I uh, staying over. We were we were kipping in the front room in his uh, in his uh, older brother's front room. I'd bagged myself the uh, bigger sofa. I think uh, that was only fair, uh, given I'm the longer of the two. However, I think we'd both been a little uh, complacent about how comfortable we expected to be there that night as my aunt uh who made the trip with us along with my uncle she'd insisted throughout the journey up there that we would be sleeping comfortably as my cousin and his girlfriend had since our last trip there back in the uh, summer bought sofa beds so 
five minutes of attempting to pull out these sofas uh, was enough for the rabbit and I to conclude that my aunt was completely wrong. We tried pulling the sofas from every corner imaginable to convert them transformer-like into beds. We were pulling at parts of the sofa we knew would and could achieve nothing. We tugged from angles that had never been pulled at before. We, we pulled faces that had never been pulled before. Even I was pulling faces. Maybe I can only pull faces when I'm trying to assemble sofa beds that simply don't exist. And we knew that if something did happen, if somehow we were able to assemble these sofa beds, we'd have happened upon a new way to assemble the fold-up bed. The weird thing is my aunt had been adamant that, that my cousin had sofa beds. We trusted her information implicitly. I mean, how could you be wrong about something like that? She wouldn't just come up with that. We, we just assumed. We assumed that we were missing some trick. Yes, Looking back, neither my cousin nor his girlfriend had told us, nor even intimated, that these uh, two sofas in the front room were sofa beds. Obviously, any fool could see these were so evidently sofa beds that, that they hadn't bothered telling us. That's what we assumed. That is what we thought until, tired and defeated, we accepted that, that nothing was happening. There were no sofa beds. It was... Uh, it was a difficult moment. It was a difficult moment. We, we, we tried to make sofa beds out of sofas that we were told were sofa beds. But the information was wrong. Uh, a very quick new feature now. Things that my dad told me that were quite simply untrue. Uh, Christopher Plummer was the son of Charlie Chaplin. He so wasn't. That's this week's uh, things that my dad told me uh, that was quite simply untrue. I'll keep those uh, coming in in future uh now this week's uh time stamp it's a, a popular feature i think it's been going three or four weeks now and uh you know i want to know what you were doing at a particular time of your life every year i will give you a month and a year i'm not going to keep it for example it's december i'm not going to uh, whilst we're in december i'm not going to say uh yeah time stamp has to be december although i'm aware that the last couple of time stamps have been in december that's uh that was my mistake there this week we're in july 2002 a time of my life that is bizarre because I actually had a good time and yet a lot of bad things were happening in the background. Um, I turned 30 that spring and uh, much like uh, I'm dreading 40, I was dreading 30. And uh, I took off, uh, went to Spain. These were my final few weeks with my dad whilst he was still around. Uh, I couldn't take any more of uh, the grieving. I've been grieving for my mum for two years intensely, every day, every day crying. I'm not, I'm not joking there. And I just couldn't take any more of it. I'd been writing my way through it. I'd managed to hold on to TV contracts until I hit a hit a wall, really, where the career came unstuck at that particular point. So I went to Spain. Um, yeah, my behaviour was changing. Um, I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, I went to Spain, went to uh, old family friends, and I remember taking a load of work with me. I thought I'll get my head together there. I'll start writing again, see what I can do. I, was, I had my uh, legs in the pool one day, sitting poolside. My writing, I was just going to write longhand, didn't have a laptop back then. Realised I couldn't write. I could not write a single word. And uh, I didn't write another word for two years. I just... It was, you know, a writer's block kicked in and it was around the four-week period. I'd finally given in, decided to take antidepressants. They took four weeks to kick in and at that moment I felt them kick in. And I thought, I can't write, but you know what? It's not a problem. I feel okay. 
The sun is in my face. I'm warm. I'm happy. I'm with friends. I like this. So at the time back in London, I'd moved to Herne Hill with my uh, older cousin after spending a year, the, the, the first year after my mum's passing in West Norwood. Uh, it wasn't a great period for either me or my cousin, both for different reasons. Um, but look, you know, I, I did appreciate what he'd done for me at the time, but uh, I just think I lacked the maturity to acknowledge it. But, uh, you know, 10 years on, I can say the guy came out to, uh, you know, really, really came good for me. And uh, he didn't get the thanks that he deserved, as so many people who tried to help me didn't. So there I was, unable to write. I came back from Spain and uh, very quickly sacked from the job I was in at that particular point. That's the sacking that took place in White Chino's. I'd also brought a TV set in with me at that particular time. I wasn't writing, so I was just temping again. And, you know, I went on to become a, a football journalist. Didn't require any creativity. I was able to do that and do it successfully. What I'd say at the pills to this day, what they did is they wrecked my short-term memory. I mean, I'm often praised on this show for my ability to, to recall things from years ago, hence this timestamp feature. But I, I could really struggle to tell you what I'd done last week. That That's the problem I had. That's the legacy, of for me personally, of taking the antidepressants. My behavior began to change and then I started to take an awful lot of risks in my life. I did things that I'd never done before. I was, I started shoplifting. I've never shoplifted before. I'd never, you know, I haven't shoplifted since. I don't know what was going on. There was one particular job and I'm not gonna name the company, very famous uh, company, and they had their own store for staff and I was put in charge of it. I didn't fancy the job. It was effectively a return to retail. I hadn't done that since I was a teenager. I didn't like that environment, but I saw a lot of goods there and I started to steal stuff, bigger and bigger stuff each week, stuff that I was never going to use, stuff that I was just giving to people, wasn't even taking money for it I just it was almost like I wanted to see if I could get this stuff out of a very very big building with loads of security guards it was it was exciting it was stupid it was wrong but I was doing it and on my final day there I didn't know it was my final day on my final day I almost got caught and uh, I was hiding these goods in uh, in a toilet um, and I almost got caught and I thought, this is this is bad. There's something going on here. I can't control it. I have to leave this job before I get caught and I get prosecuted. And I, you know, I would have had no complaints if I'd been caught. And uh, I quit that day. I just thought, I've got to remove myself out of harm's way here because I can't, I can't carry on like this. I have to do something about this. And that was the last time that ever happened. Uh, and that shoplifting period, although quite intense, lasted really looking back three four months around 2002 culminating around july 2002 so i'm still on the antidepressants and you know their legacy the short-term memory loss uh, and, and 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 the changes to my pattern of behavior uh that's why i never revisited them i got through this last year stone cold sober and I'm, you know unmedicated um i learned that year what medication could do to me um, I became happy for no reason. I was taking ridiculous risks. I did things I would never have done and haven't done since. And uh, there was this one night where I'd given in to this request by this very strange girl. And uh, I found myself chained uh, to a bed. And uh, as I was chained, I got, well, she got a call 
uh, from abroad telling her that her dad had died. Now, that's a tricky situation because obviously my concern was twofold. One, I want to be unchained and... Uh, I also knew then that before I got my night bus, because I didn't want to stay the night, that wasn't the kind of relationship we were having, that I would need to console her. And I was thinking, well, how much time am I going to have to spend consoling her? This is really looking like I'm going to have to stay the night. Two, it became apparent that in her moment of utter grief, she had completely forgotten that I was chained to the bed. And I was looking at the time. I wanted to get home. I don't like the whole sharing a bed thing with a woman particularly when you're just with someone for a shag you both made it clear to one another that's what it is but I could see that the longer this went on the greater the likelihood of my staying was the parents were abroad she's in another room weeping she's calling all her family that she had here she 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 arranged with her sister to come over I'd never met the sister I didn't want to meet the sister like this would the sister think I was the new guy that her sister was dating I didn't want to attend the funeral or I didn't think that I should because of my role in this girl's life. It wasn't an important role. We were just passing through each other's lives and all of a sudden, given that I was there on the night when she'd received this most dreadful of news, on the basis of being chained to her bed as she took the call, I figured that I was going to have to attend the funeral. I was uncomfortable with that. So eventually I was unchained, but not before she threw herself upon me. She's crying. I get unchained five minutes before the sister turns up. I'm looking all dishevelled. They're crying. And I can see, you know, the sister's thinking, well, what's this guy doing here? Why is his hair like, like, you know, like that? Why is he sweating? I'm trying to find, uh, you know, a discernible opening to take the opportunity to leave. How, how, how do we leave it? Because, you know, prior, the, the arrangement was we would never say when we were going to see each other again. We knew that we would see each other again, but we didn't really have any specific date so what was I going to say I didn't know what to say yeah tell me when the funeral is I'll come along for all I knew she didn't want me at the funeral so it was a long night I was there till the morning I could hear them weeping and making more calls throughout the night as I just sat in an armchair in the front room watching repeats of Dallas and UK gold waiting for the morning to arrive I uh, I, I went into the bathroom looking for some E45 to see if I could apply it to my wrists they were sore from the handcuffs that was, a, that was a long night. In all seriousness, and uh, there's the speech impediment again. In all seriousness, and you can think this is all rather Walter Mitty, you can think what you like. I know, almost ten years on, that she deserved to be with someone better when she was getting that news. We will forever be linked by that moment. She'll always remember where and who she was with when she got that call. And also, and much to my shame, and uh, to this day, actually, despite mickey boyd's suspicions it remains the only time i have significantly altered the look of my chest hair i'd replicated ryan Giggs' hair design around the navel which i'd uh, picked up on after he swapped shirts with a Bayer leverkusen player after the german club had knocked united out of the champions league semis that year Giggs had a um he had like a landing strip around his navel which led up to the the uh, expanse of chest hair you know the, the crowning glory of his chest hair and I suspect in his case it was natural. It wasn't natural in my case. I tried to emulate the gig's look. It was just wonky. I made a bad job of it. She knew that wasn't natural. As I lay there chained on her bed, she 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 knew it wasn't natural. And I, I wonder to this day whether she remembers that. And the thing is, antidepressants impact upon a guy significantly in the bedroom department. They, well, they can do. You, you, you become Mr. Floppy. I went to the doc. He said he'd never heard of this happening before. I took out the leaflet that came with the pills. And it was there in black and white. 
you know, th there was a likelihood of your bonus taking a hit. The good thing about me and the doc is that since I'd taken my concerns to him that I might be infertile back in 84, just uh, weeks before my 12th birthday, we could talk candidly. I could have this conversation with him. He was wrong in this instance. How could he tell me that you wouldn't be affected by antidepressants when it was there? It was, it was there in the leaflet that came with the pills. So around this time as well, I, I, I blagged a book deal, not a single word to show for it. I just sat there in front of a team of editors with this brilliant idea. I talked and sold and talked and I got the book deal. Naturally, it fell through months later because I'm an, un, you know, an unlucky guy. Around July 2002 as well, I had the biggest bust up with my dad owing to uh, listening to uh, the, the, the gossipy women prevalent in the Spanish community. I ended up having, by a long distance, the worst conversation we'd ever had i've never forgotten it horrible horrible last conversation to have with a parent i'd already had that moment where i'd stumbled upon my mum and found my mum and to suddenly just you know two and a half years later to, to to have things end like they did with my surviving parent i mean that was just the biggest kick in the nuts on top of everything but my last actual conversation with him prior to that, I mean, things were already strained with us, which is why when we had that final conversation, I went in harder than I ever had. It was uh, it was a Spain-Island game, the Japan-Korea World Cup. And uh, I think Spain won on penalties. My dad was impressed with the way Spain had played. He felt they deserved to win. He rang up my aunts where we all were watching the game. These were the morning kickoffs, if you remember. And we all told him, he questioned every one of us what we thought about the Spanish performance. None of us thought it was up to much. He was furious. He hung up on us and that was it. He didn't speak to any of us for a while. My memories of my mum's passing are very specific for some reason. And I think it's probably the pills. They're not specific with my dad. Often I get confused. I think it was 2003, but it wasn't. It was 2002. I coasted through his passing because of the pills. August would be spent searching for him after he went missing. You know, I've got the low-key personality, and all of a sudden, I'm handing out missing posters in the street. I'm going to hospitals asking if anyone's seen him. You know, my personality was, was just ill-suited to handing out posters. I was strung out on the pills, unable to appreciate what was happening. But I got through it. I, I got through that horrible period because, because of the pills. Your timestamps now, uh, Pete Domican, uh, July 2002, just coming to the end of six months on the dole, not a great time. Nick MB, in July 2002, I killed time whilst waiting for my A-level results by discovering drinking and going to various Christian youth group events entirely because my mates were there. My attitude to religion had faded to apathy. They were very welcoming at youth group. I'm still in touch with a few of them, but without the token worship. Uh, Easy Nova. Uh, emailed in. I got all excited earlier when I saw your timestamp date because I usually I can't remember where the hell I was or who I was with. The 90s in particular are a bit of a blur for reasons I best not go into. Probably got listeners racking their minds right now thinking, drugs, was it drugs? Did he get caught up in the whole E-generation thing? Was he a bad man? Was he a gangster? Anyway, uh, Easy Nova continues. Then after a bit more careful thought, I realised it was actually the end of June 2002 that was memorable and that July 2002 was just ordinary. Uh, June the 15th. Okay, so we've got a timestamp just slightly before the timestamp that uh, I put out. But let's go with it. June the 15th was my wedding date. 
2002 was, as I'm sure you know, a World Cup year. Unfortunately for me and my male guests, the 15th was the date of England's quarter-final game against Denmark, one o'clock as I was walking down the aisle, England were kicking off. Obviously, people wanted to be there for my wife and I, but they also didn't want to miss a thing. Some brought radios, one guest even brought a mini-TV. Anyway, none of this was necessary as the cheering from the pub next door let us know exactly what was going on. There was any doubt as to the score. This was confirmed by the bell ringers on the balcony holding up an improvised scoreboard for all to see. The vicar even mentioned it in his sermon. We won 3-0 and much celebrating went on long into the night. Easy Nova then goes on to say they embarked on a honeymoon. They flew to Kuala Lumpur for a two-night stopover before a short flight to Bali for a well-earned break. By now the draw was complete and we had Brazil, uh, Ian says, in the semi. It's actually it was the quarterfinals. Uh, I think England made the quarterfinals there that year. Optimistic as every England fan is, I was hopeful. Uh, Kuala Lumpur had been an amazing place to be as they fully embraced the World Cup with huge screens in the street. Then the dreaded news that the match would be on exactly when we were on the plane and for the duration of the flight. The plane was full of English people and nobody had any info about how the game was going. What would the result be? We were dying to know. Everyone burst off the plane as quick as possible, searching for a TV in the airport. It was, of course, the Ronaldinho lob and seaman error that sealed our fate. And once more, we were so close and yet so far. Still, I was in paradise with my new bride and I soon got over it. The people of Bali were lovely and into their football, so we watched the final in the open air at a bar. We came home at the start of July and began our married life together, and I'm glad to say we are still very happily married with two lovely kids. Ian. Thank you for that, Ian. Uh, Miss Ella Simone, I didn't go abroad in 2002. I went to visit my nana in Leeds instead. During this visit, she imparted pearls of wisdom such as how not to catch the AIDS. This included not doing any drugs, including smoking cannabis, avoiding having anal sex with gay men, and never going to a dirty dentist. I think the nana had a point on the dentist there, because uh, sometimes in the late 80s, my mad dentist in Stockwell would reach into my mouth, gloveless, and I'd think... Hasn't this guy seen these AIDS ads with the big gravestone? Hasn't he seen those ads? By the way, uh, I'm officially nominating Ella as this uh, show's drugs are. I know very little about drugs. I'm a good Catholic boy. Um, Up until the age of seven or eight, I I wanted to be this country's first priest come professional footballer. I figured that I could combine the two. Peter Jones would purr on the old radio too. What a fine touch by the Padre there. What a left foot. Blessed by God. Or, let me just see if I can tap into my Peter Jones uh, impersonation here. What a fine touch by the Padre there. I used to be able to do it uh, much better. Uh, I think Mickey Boyd would confirm that. Uh, I mean, I am someone who will take any prescription drug going. Recreational, I know very little about. And if if they brought the wire back for that sixth season uh, set around the Portuguese community that, that David Simon had intimated was a possibility. And if they approached me to write you know, for it and say they interviewed me over Skype and I confirmed lying that I was up to speed on my drugs knowledge and drugs paraphernalia, knowing full well I wasn't, I, I think what I would do is I'd just read Ella's timeline. I learned so much about hard drugs just reading her tweets. Anyway, that's a uh, timestamp for this week. Next week, we're in September 1990. What were you doing? Uh, Twitter at 1607westegg, hashtag timestamp, or email uh, drt at westegg1607.co.uk. Uh, put timestamp in the subject header. It's now uh, four nights since I made a weird sound uh, in bed. This sound came not in my own home, but much to my shame, 
150 miles away in Bath. Um, at least I think that Bath, the home of uh, Tears for Fears, is 150 miles away. My geography is poor. Addressing that, in all honesty, probably isn't a priority right now. But it was a noise that I can't forget easily. It was witnessed by uh, the rabbit as we both bedded down for the night in his brother's front room. So we've had this situation where we've established that the, the sofa beds are not actually sofa beds. There's nothing to pull out. We've bedded down for the night. Now for the last, uh, well over the last year, I've become prone to the daytime sigh. Numerous friends have pointed that out. It's a sigh that I'm aware of. It's a sigh that simply doesn't care how many people are about. It's a, a, a sigh that it simply needs to be emitted at that very moment. I suspect it's a, it's a sigh that is largely a lament for what my life has become. I also sigh first thing in the morning. I don't think that's a lament. That's likely to be down to the effort of lifting up to 40 plus worth of toggage just to get out of bed. Uh, the strain the strain of lifting so much bedding has to be up there with, uh, what's that event in the uh, World's Strongest Man thing where they're holding a car battery, I don't know what it's called, uh, they've got to hold it for as long as possible, that's, you know, my my, my uh, getting out of bed uh, would easily fit into that competition, I, I defy even those uh, World's Strongest uh, Men competitors to be able to emerge from under all my bedding without so much as making a sound or pulling a face, the thing is though, I am aware of my daytime sign, and uh, as such, I can rein that sign in if I see it's bothering those around me. But this nighttime sound, whatever it is, whatever's behind it, this is different. I'm, I'm worried that I can't control this. There's no precedence for me making such a sound. There's no reference point I can fall back on. There's no noise that I have made that I can point to and say, right, I think this noise is a distant relative of this noise. I can't do that. I can't do that with this noise. This is totally new. It's as new as those new episodes of Baywatch ITV used to introduce in the mid-90s as new Baywatch. That's how new it is. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a sort of tricky night in, you know, the days of being able to comfortably share a room with an old mate. I don't know if it's the same for women. I don't know if it's uh, any different for guys. Maybe it's a Mediterranean thing. I mean, we've already, I've already said on past shows that I'm not comfortable with communal showering. I, I, I think the Northern European uh, will, you know, uh, or guys that go on stag nights and share hotel rooms, they'll be far more comfortable with that whole sharing a, a room thing. For me, that disappeared in my early 20s. Here we were now, almost two decades on, two guys had spent much of the two subsequent decades lying down next to women, night after night, thinking, what did I do here? How do I, you know, how do I end this? How do I get out of this? The last time that we shared a room was the night Lennox Lewis beat Tony Tucker in May 93 to retain the WC belt. Lewis, I think, had won that by default. Riddick Bowe was the champ. He'd refused to face Lewis. And uh, that night, the rabbit and I, we actually shared the erstwhile marital bed at Mayflower after a night out clubbing. And whilst my mum took the uncomfortable sofa from the, uh, in the front room, now that definitely, that, that sofa in the front room definitely wasn't a sofa bed. I'm not even sure at that time we knew what sofa beds were. Uh, and around this time, summer of 93 or just months later, my cousin would meet his future wife. He, he, he left London to build a life, have kids with her. And, uh, you know, me and him, uh, as uh, as you would expect, uh, lost that familiarity we had with each other that enabled us to top and tail in beds, you know, up to that period. So, 
20 years on, here we are again, altered, could be argued emotionally and financially we were in worse shape than 93, sartorially, he's doing better than me, but, you know, hey, who isn't? Um, you know, my cousin in, in the intervening years, he'd been married, raised a family, he had experienced a side of life that I still know nothing about. My life being one of losses, which have also affected him, abrupt disappearances, sackings, breakdowns, potmarked by the old period of success. We were two damaged guys aware that we carried our losses like shadows we couldn't shake off. The shadows were there last night. Now, you know, I, I spoke last week that my counsellor had said I had to move forward. I, I, I couldn't be carried by the shadows. I think he could make an exemption for that one night where, uh, you know, a 39-year-old man was sharing with a 40-year-old man. I think he could uh, cut me some slack there. We cracked a few jokes between us. Uh, we each made our entrance into the room in our bedclothes. Both, I think, got changed in the bathroom. I zipped up my tracksuit top all the way up. You know, my chest hair growth arguably kicked in towards the mid-90s. By that time, the rabbit was off. We'd got married. It wasn't that... You know, please understand, it wasn't that I was ashamed of my chest hair. Let me be clear on that. It was just that I didn't want a flash of my chest hair reminding him how he'd missed a significant chunk of my life as he, you know, as he was busy raising kids and being a husband. I didn't want him thinking, shit, I left my younger cousin to deal with extensive physical changes to his body. I should have been there for him. My kids would have been okay if they'd seen me less. They would have understood one day. I didn't want him thinking that, you know. Unlike our, our younger days, there was banter, but it was the banter of two people perhaps no longer as comfortable with one another as they once were. Two people who'd come through a number of broken relationships. Two people who, you know, had since then led very different lives. Lives which had you know, unraveled in different ways. But that connection between me and my cousin will always be there. It's just, I guess, that we both knew that had our lives turned out the way we'd hoped our days of sharing a room together would have ended that night that uh, Lewis became the first man to put Tucker down. It would have ended there. And I always think it's a big moment seeing someone in their bedclothes, regardless of how well you know that person. That that moment is a realisation that you are seeing a side of someone that, however well you know, you don't normally see. It could be a work colleague, could be a friend, you're staying over. You don't see that side of them normally. You might see legs with hair where once, uh, you know, there wasn't hair. You see poor quality socks that once upon a time wouldn't have been tolerated in your friend's younger days when money was more readily available when he lived at home and, you know, their mums would replace those socks. As usual, I, I attempted to, to uh, get to sleep by listening to a podcast. Uh, I was listening to the World Football phone in. But it wasn't long afterwards when I woke myself up emitting this troubling sound. It was like a sigh, but sadder, more troubled. I think it started low, but I can't be sure about that. It was certainly high-pitched in the middle of that uncertain, or maybe it just started high-pitched. If it started high-pitched without any build-up, I think that would probably have alarmed my cousin. It definitely finished low. What I do know what I'm certain of is that when it startled me, it was high-pitched, but it was out there for good. I can never take that noise back. I think it'd be great if you could take noises, sound back in the same way you can delete a Word document, but you can't. In a, you know, in a life high on embarrassment, this was the latest humiliation. My cousin pretended to be asleep, but I caught him opening his late-night, heavy-lidded eyes, as if to say, what the hell was that? You know, he opened his eyes up in a way that uh, a crocodile does as it slowly rises out of the water. 
and I found myself making some panicked small talk immediately afterwards, which was as incoherent as the noise itself. It was, you know, there, there was just something for me tragic about that night. Two old friends sharing a room together after a number of failed relationships over the last two decades had left them alone on a family occasion, and a noise, a sound, had chosen to make its debut on this of all nights. All the nights I'd spent alone in the last year, that noise had failed to make itself known on any one of those nights. Instead, it had chosen to to appear, to, to, to make its mark a long way from home, not even in my own borough, not even on one of the many local basketball courts that host vicious dogfights with angry youths baying for blood, where such a noise would simply have been lost. It's never happened during a dogfight. No, it happened in front of my cousin, my oldest friend, the man I went to nursery with, the man whom I was in the same class with at school for nine years. And I've spent those subsequent four days sipping lattes, a worried man. I'm wondering what that noise was, when and where it would show itself again. What was the noise? Was it a flashback? Was it one of my frequent troubled dreams? Does this happen at the flat and I'm just not aware of it because I've been sleeping alone for over a year now? So the following morning, you know, uh, Boxing Day morning, I'm trying to make light of the noise with my cousin in a more intelligible and humorous way than I was able to in the moments after the, the, the noise had happened. But I do wonder now if you may have since recalled the bizarre noise, you know, talked about it with his new girlfriend, perhaps to deflect attention away from any nocturnal noises he'd been, you know, he might be making with her in their early nights together. Yeah, if that's the case, I'd be okay with that. Any new relationship particularly in the bedroom, that needs to be on a sure footing and quickly. But it's like, where does this leave me? I mean, going forward, and that is what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to go forward, it, it worries me how this noise might affect any opportunities involving women staying over. Opportunities that may present themselves in future. Firstly, there's one other significant hurdle to overcome. I'd have to explain to, to the woman that we'd be sleeping under 40 uh, uh, 40 plus worth of toggage because I can't afford to turn the heating on. We... You know, I'd make it clear to them that we could compromise. She could choose to sleep under just the one duvet, which technically might make spontaneous middle-of-the-night lovemaking difficult. Given that we'd be lying on different levels of duvet, she'd either have to come out of the top duvet, slip under the bottom duvet, or I, and this is far less likely, I'd have to forsake the warmth of being below 40 togs, come into her more summary duvet arrangement, in all likelihood, in quite a sweaty state, because it is hot under there. But this is all, you know, this, this is a surmountable obstacle. Whereas the noise may not be. My only alternative thinking about this might be to submerge myself under the full 40 tog, head buried underneath both super thick duvets and sundry bedding, knowing that that may represent my best chance of any further noise eruptions being stifled. Each relationship threatening noise is just going to simply ricochet off all the bedding below her with her completely unaware of all the horror and chaos occurring below her. I don't want to be making these weird sounds with women. I don't think I could dress up the sound as anything funny. Certainly not on one of the early sleepovers when you're, you know, you're both at that uncomfortable stage. You're assessing one another's bodies. Um, obviously, that may be no easy thing if we're lying down on different levels of bedding. But you know, you've got that situation in the early days of any relationship. More often than not, you're assessing a partner's physical flaws. You don't think about what you like. You don't think about their good points. What you're trying to establish in your own head is whether you can live with their flaws or whether you can do better than this. Maybe you don't like the jawline. Maybe you think you can get a girl with a with a better jawline. I don't know. You need a clear head, though. I do know that to see that assessment through. K 
can I carry such an assessment through with a clear head if I'm worrying about the noise? I, I think that would be difficult. This sound has shocked me. I think that I would much rather deal with the girl hearing my stomach rumble because I know where I am with the stomach rumble. I've been dealing with the stomach rumble for 23 years. This noise, though, this is new. I'm looking to turn my life around. And, yeah, as I, as, as I look to turn my life around, I seek the new, but the good new, not the embarrassing new. I don't think I can turn my life around if I know this is the kind of noise I'm capable of making. No noise, I think, has made a bigger more damaging impact on my life since the stomach rumbles that forced me to quit my English literature A-level exam in that uh, long hot summer of 91, incidentally the last year I tanned. This, I mean it felt like the sound of a life dealing with too many ghosts, of a life failing to come to terms with the absence of Actimel, of fresh fruit and innocent smoothies since the TV contracts dried up. The sound of a life that never appreciated the balcony or dishwasher when they were there to be used. This was the audio of a man that thought that once he got to the top he'd remain there for longer than he did. Maybe this is the first of many noises that are going to come into my life now. As I move into middle age. This is the gateway noise that will lead on to more horrific noises gaining a foothold in my bedroom. And you know, the, the fact is the arrival of such noises changes things. All of a sudden I'm an almost 40 year old man, yeah. That's what I am, a good-looking 40-year-old man making noises in his sleep. What do I do if I ever meet someone? Do I give them the heads up on the noise or do I just hope it never happens before they get too attached to me that they can never leave me? How do I know they can be trusted not to tell anyone about the noise? I mean, I've yet to come across a woman that doesn't goth it. If the relationship ends, it might be they break the ice on a future date by bringing up this awkward moment they once had when dating a, 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 a failed writer and host of a little-known podcast. You know, they, the retelling of my noise may be the turning point for their relationship. Soon after, this new man's behind us. She's pulling passionate faces, noticing that he, unlike me, isn't limited in the facial expressions department. It's my noise that's behind their shagging. Without my noise, they wouldn't be shagging. The noise indicated aging. It's a romance killer. When a woman has heard a noise like this, you can't be boasting to her how you used to regularly dispense multiple orgasms before the recession came. How you were regarded as a generous lover when the reality was, mindful the relationship was likely to die, you were simply focusing on your bedroom legacy. You, you Obviously, you don't tell them that last part. And I think what this might mean now for me is that dating in future will mean that I have to see someone my own age. Someone that's struggling to deal with their own noises. Someone who's on edge. They're not too fussy. Their confidence is low because they're, they're, they're dealing with this noise. They don't know what the noise is. They know they're always one bad noise away from their partner leaving them. We'd spend a little time with one another in the evenings. You know, she'd be devoting her spare time into Googling for a cure for her horrific noises. Afraid I'll walk out on her. And I probably would. I probably would. The noise I made the other night is not one that I could tolerate for long in a partner. Not without some sort of indication as to where that noise might be going, where it might end. Give me some idea of how much worse that noise is going to get. So I could, you know, work out if I could handle it. Dating someone considerably younger, knowing I'm capable of producing such noises, that's not going to work. They're not going to hang around once they hear that noise. It'll be an uncomfortable insight for them into growing old. They're, they're not going to be ready for that. They'd 
they'd have sought out your greater sexual experience but not the accompanying noise the relationship would change you both it'd get you both back to dating within your own age ranges people would ask her they'd ask her what it was like dating a man on the brink of turning 40 and she'd just say that the sex was amazing but then he started making these weird noises i had to go i'm, I'm so not up for noises I just don't think that I've ever heard myself make a more disappointing noise than this Christmas Day noise. It's, you know, is this what my life has come to? Making noises in my sleep. Is this the first step to ending in a care home? You know, finding myself in a care home where my noises will be so annoying, care workers will beat the shit out of me every time I make some weird nocturnal sound. I don't know where it leaves me. I, I can move forward, but not with this noise. I'm a low-key guy. I don't want to be meeting someone and having to explain the noise to them. I've already... You know, I've got enough that I need to tell them. I've got the checkered work history. I've got to tell them what happened to my parents. I've got to try and get toilet comfortable with them. The, 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 the noise... The noise would be too much. Maybe before couples get together they they need to sit down and be candid about the noises each of them is going to bring into a relationship perhaps each plays the other a recording of these noises you go to ground for a week with the mp3s you listen to them repeatedly before getting back to your prospective lovers with a list of what you can live with maybe that's maybe that's what needs to be done maybe that's how you deal with these things anyway i put this out on twitter and i had some interesting responses uh minty matt uh tweeted i think it's only natural for noises to develop in all people i know a few old people who make a permanent humming noise meantime uh, john welch uh, having described the noise maybe listeners would like to send in their own interpretations and that's just what john and uh, matt have done uh john's idea not mine and uh, i'm about to play you uh both their uh mp3 submissions beginning with uh minty matt <laughs> So that was Matt there. I like that little bit that uh, John added there at the end. So those guys uh, throwing down the gauntlet. Can you match that? Get your MP3 submissions, your interpretations of what my noise may have sounded like. Send them in uh, via MP3s. Uh, so, sorry, send them in as MP3s to DRT at westegg1607.co.uk. Ideally, MP3s or WAV files are easier for me to convert. What I will try and do next week, I do have a fair idea of what the sound was like. Certainly the uh, start of it or, or the, the, the high-pitched uh, part of it. So I will be... Uh, replicating that as best i can next week and let's see who came closest right now i can't promise any prizes who am i to promise prizes all i've done is buy one pair of jeans and a new pair of boots i can't start giving out prizes less than three four days after that uh so get your noise submissions in um i have been trying to keep the shows uh, shorter i i certainly shorter than last week's christmas special but i i, I need to get them down even shorter I need to focus on the book editing the bandwidth costs right now i can't cope with those if you can you'd be doing me a big favor you know if once or twice a month uh you can listen to the show on the wordpress site or via stitcher radio the links are tweeted on my twitter and facebook uh just simply so i don't have to throw yet more money 
at this podcast uh, on, on a day when the printer's packed in. Uh, this is a recession hit podcast. What can I say? Every which way I turn, my talent is just being done in the arse. Sorry to be so crude. I mean, I put myself down many times. I'm honest about my failings, but I also know I'm very talented, albeit in a very narrow field. And, uh, you know, things not being what they need to be, things like the podcast are being affected. Anyway, we're at the uh, end of the show. Hope you've enjoyed it. Please do rate and review the show on iTunes. It does make a difference. Thanks to those of you who already have. Um, it can certainly make a difference to the show's future. As I said a few weeks ago, it may be that I have to resubmit the feed as iTunes is demanding I do for the show to uh, have a chance of crashing the charts again. Uh, it'll only take you a couple of minutes uh, to, to post a review on iTunes, unlike this show, which uh, takes about six hours every Thursday. Also, listen on Jellycast, Stitcher Radio, and Mixcloud. Uh, join the Facebook group. Follow the show uh, via Twitter at 1607WestEgg. Email address DRT at WestEgg1607.co.uk. Uh, and uh, the song Overkills will be up on the blog 1607WestEgg.wordpress.com. They should be up later tonight. For next week's show, get your song Overkills in for the first week of January. Uh, send in your New Year's resolutions, as William did. If you have any, uh, keep those new Clapham ideas uh, coming back. We'll be back in New Clapham, hopefully, in the next two or three weeks. Timestamp, if you remember, September 1990. Quite a bit of uh, saliva building up in my mouth there. Maybe just slow things down. Uh, you've got, uh, for Clapham applications, to be Nikki's part-time uh, assistant at the Filthmonger's shop as well. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year, people. Until then, I'm Daniel Ruiz Tyson. And I think you know, I'm never gambled. Next week, people. Next week. <laughs> <laughs>